every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we have a very special guest from Philadelphia. We have Commissioner Al Schmidt here, and we are looking forward to talking about Philadelphia and uh, his experience in 2020, and we welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation to join you today. So first, we always ask our guests, how did you end up working as an elections administrator? So in Philadelphia, the city commissioners, and there are three of us, we are elected officials, elected citywide uh, to a four-year term. So you have to run for this office. It's not appointed as it is in a lot of other places. Um, I've never really been interested in running for office before. Um, I used to work as a senior analyst at GAO, the Government Accountability Office in Washington, DC, and other positions before that after getting my PhD in uh, political history. So I, I ended up running for office in a kind of uh, roundabout way. It was nothing I was ever really all that interested in doing, but having worked on Capitol Hill for a while and the frustration of you know, working hard, researching things, advising elected officials, and then elected officials making decisions based on, you know, none of the information uh, that you provided, but based on other considerations. That frustration sort of drove me to being interested in public office and running for it because it's the only way to do it. Um, so I ran for office, I ran for city controller of Philadelphia in 2009 and city commissioner in 2011 uh, and was elected in 2011. In your... I guess, span of duties, how big a role is elections in most of, of what you do? It is really central to what the city commissioners of Philadelphia do. So it's all things election related from voter registration to, you know, absentee and mail-in ballots to election day operations and the final computation and certification of the election results. In Philadelphia, we have a little over 1,700 precincts. So we're talking about more than 8,000 election board workers on election day, thousands of uh, voting machines, and all the technology on the back end for either producing absentee mail-in ballots and the final counting of them all. So it's a pretty big operation. And it's funny to hear you know, people say, and you may have encountered this too, what do you do the rest of the year? And it's work on this <laughs> all year long. It's just sometimes we're talking about seven days a week, 12 hours a day or more. And other times, and you've experienced all this, other times it's, it's probably less. It's probably like a regular normal work schedule where you pivot to doing all the other things that you don't have time to do in that crunch time before and after election day. So Al, I've got to ask you one really specific thing about elections in Philadelphia and I guess Pennsylvania at large. A few years ago, I was talking to Nick Castudio, who works in your office, I know, and I think if I'm not wrong, I think he mentioned that Pennsylvania at the time had a provision in their election law that if 
the poll workers, if they don't show up on election morning, then the first voters at the polling place are then like appointed as poll workers. Is that, was that true? Did I understand that right? Sort of. <laughs> Our election board workers run for those positions. There are five or six on every election board in those 1,703 precincts in the city. If no one runs for those positions and no one gets court appointed to fill vacancies because no one ran, then essentially on election morning, you have what is called a curbside election, which is essentially the people who are there vote for who does what to make the election run that day. And it's the best worst approach to doing it. But at the end of the day for us, the main thing that matters is that voters can vote. Because prior to this last year, we only had absentee uh, and alternative ballots, which you needed a reason to vote that way. So everyone else voted on election day, which means for 13 hours, that window is open and that window closes. And just like everywhere else, there's no redos, there's no anything else. So if it takes, it, instead of the polls opening at seven, they open at 7.30 or eight or 8.30, while well, we're sending people out. And we have an army of people that we send out to fill vacancies as well, because it happens every election. The next best thing is that our people organize. And it's extraordinary to see. It's kind of spontaneous on the spot. Someone, you know, goes there at seven o'clock in the morning and they're like, hey, how about you, you know, be a clerk for the day for the next 13 hours, essentially volunteering your time, even though we pay you, you know, one or two hundred dollars. And it, and it works out. It's harrowing to experience and somehow uh, encouraging at the same time. How often does that happen? Because, I mean, we have statutes that say that the political parties are supposed to give us the names of our election judges. We recruit our own poll workers and nobody gives us lists. But how often does that happen where you have to invoke that? Well, it really changes from election to election. Like in a presidential general election, there is a lot of enthusiasm in Philadelphia to work on those boards. Everyone knows when election day is. They've been hearing about it for months. Civic duty and all the rest are, are driving people to participate. Next year or this year is our district attorney city controller election cycle. So instead of turnout being, you know, 75%, it's more like 10 or 15%. There's a lot less enthusiasm and that's no disrespect, just like you've all experienced. There's a inverse proportion, I think, to how much participation there is in an election and how much who gets elected has an impact on your life. Because in Philadelphia, the district attorney has a big impact on people's lives. The city controller who audits city agencies to make sure they're efficient and effective, that's close to home. Uh, but turnout might be 9% or 18%, as we saw in the last couple of years. In those election cycles where there's less enthusiasm, there are fewer people who want to work on the election boards. So it really varies from election to election here. I don't want to take up all our time about this, but it is really fascinating. How often are those contested races for those election boards? Like, does that ever happen? Uh, yes. I mean, people will run campaigns to work on those election boards in some places. And again, you're essentially volunteering for the polls are open for 13 hours. It's really more like 14 uh, in terms of your work day. We only pay you normally about $100 for the day. 
this last presidential, we were able to pay $200 because it was just a lot more, a lot more training, a lot more kind of complications in the process. But you're more or less volunteering for the day. So sometimes they're, you know, fought out and it's a, and people, like I said, are elected to those positions. You have a judge of elections, you have a majority and minority inspector. And the idea is that they're elected from different parties. Just like the city commissioners, there's three of us, two Democrats and one Republican to build in uh, checks and balances in the process to make it bipartisan. And the same thing is mirrored at the precinct level. So Philadelphia was in the news a lot during 2020. At, before that even happened, you know, Obviously, in the beginning of the year, we were all preparing for a high turnout 2020 with cybersecurity and things like that. As everything started shifting more towards COVID precautions and, and everything else that was happening, what was it looking like in February and March in Philadelphia as you were preparing for later on in the year? You hear the expression like a perfect storm. We had essentially three we had not just the complications related to the COVID environment, but Pennsylvania had a new election law that allowed voters to vote by mail, no excuse, absentee voting, essentially. Uh, and in a primary in the general, about half of our voters voted by mail. So we went from nearly zero to 50%. And that was a heavy lift for us. And there were all sorts of other things that went along with that new election law. So we had the COVID environment, we had a new method of voting available to voters, and we had uh, new voting technology. All the counties in Pennsylvania were required by, the, by this presidential election to acquire voting machines. Your listeners can't hear me making air quotes with my fingers, new voting systems that at the end of the day, there's a ballot with ink on paper with a human readable name of the candidate that they voted for. And that was new in our county and new in a lot. So that alone would have been a big challenge. So would have COVID, so would have voting by mail being available to voters. So we had all three of them hit at the same time. And from my recollection, your procurement of your new voting system wasn't without controversy either. So I think I thought to myself in 2020, these folks in Philly just can't catch a break sometimes. But I remember uh, reading a little bit about your procurement of your new voting system. I think this might be interesting to listeners is that Philadelphia, if I understand it correctly, up until a couple of years ago, you were still using essentially like an adapted lever machine voting system, or at least it looked that way. And your, your voters were very familiar and seemed to really like that concept. And, and you all chose something that was, I hate to say somewhat similar, but it was a, another kind of voting device that was a full face ballot type voting device. And I'm curious what maybe you could share with us in that regard. Was it really the case that your voters were used to that? They liked it. And did they respond well to the new equipment you bought? Yes, the new machines that we bought are essentially like great big iPads where you have all or nearly all of the candidates on one screen, which is what we had had before, except for that involved pushing buttons with little lights that came on when you made your selections instead of touching a screen. One, one advantage is it's not connected to anything at all. It's not, uh, it's less, uh, less electronic and more sort of mechanical in how it functions. But 
at the end of the day, there's no, there was no paper ballot. There was no, like I said, ink on paper, human readable names of the candidates who were selected. So we ended up going with a system that was actually very similar, sort of like an update to it in a sense with a paper ballot. So it didn't seem like, and you obviously know much better than me, it didn't seem like much of the controversy then in November, 2020 hinged around these new voting machines. It seemed to almost deal exclusively with the absentee and mail ballots. Was that a surprise to you? It did. And a lot of this is relative, right? So the, the new voting system rollout, which we pushed very hard to do successfully in the general election of 2019, which was our mayoral election cycle, so that at least a third of our voters will have voted once before the presidential election cycle on that system. And then again, in the primary before they got to the general. I think that was really critical, us kind of working very hard to get that done so that our voters would have a couple of experiences with this system prior to the presidential general election. On election day, it went incredibly smoothly as far as the new voting system went. Very few complaints. I think the system is very familiar. You know, a, a lot of training went in for our election boards, both in 2019 and 2020, to kind of get the election boards up to speed on how to work with the machines. So the controversy in Philadelphia in 2020 was centered mostly around the, the mail-in ballots. Did you all have enough time to prepare to process all these ballots with the new laws in mind? Did, did it help you? at all or, or not? To, to be honest, um, I know I went in kicking and screaming to the Pennsylvania Department of State because a new voting system, you would generally not want to roll out in a presidential election year. A new voting method, voting by mail, is not something you would want to roll out in a presidential election year. So um, it just made a lot more work and made a lot more difficult but at the end of the day, I was wrong and they were right. They were right in forcing the counties to acquire new systems with a paper ballot. They were right in introducing vote by mail, uh, which our Republican House and our Republican Senate and our Democratic governor signed or passed and then signed into law prior to any of the COVID stuff even coming about. So half of our voters were able to vote by mail. So it had a twofold advantage, which I'm sure a lot of places have experienced. One expands the ability for voters to vote. If you are a fireman in Philadelphia and you're working a 12 hour shift from seven in the morning till seven at night, it overlaps with the election day almost entirely. You're not absent from the county. You are not eligible for an absentee ballot. So you're kind of out of luck unless you could get other people to kind of fill your spot where you drove home to vote and then came back again. So hopefully it did two things. One, it made it easier for people to vote who are working long shifts or working two jobs or you know have normal lives that are very busy. The other advantage was that with half of our people voting by mail, half of our people didn't have to show up at the polls on election day. So all the people who did show up at the polls, there may have been a line because it's a presidential general election, but that line is half as long as it would have otherwise been. 
which also in the COVID environment, I think was a very important thing. So voting by mail allowed us to sort of increase the number of people participating and decrease the number of people voting on election day in person at the 1,703 precincts we have in Philadelphia. In terms of just the logistics, you had mentioned that it was a pretty heavy lift to have 50% voting by mail. How large is your staff? Is that something that you did on in-house or did you work with a vendor on being able to get that to happen? Or can you kind of shed some light on the details of that transition to scale up? So normally all this is done in-house. Our department is around 100 to 120 full-time employees uh, year round. And we hire additional temporary staff around the election time. And we did that in, in the primary election. It was our professional staff. We produced all mail-in ballots in-house and handled it all sort of internally. In the presidential general, because we're talking about half of our voters, hundreds of thousands of people voting by mail, that wasn't possible. So we outsourced part of the production for mail-in ballots to a vendor who did a terrific job. We didn't have any issues at all. And that's the thing that, I don't know if Brianna and Eric, you've experienced you know, staying up at night worried that somewhere there's a typo or somewhere the file gets sorted wrong and ballots go out to you know, the right names and the wrong addresses or something like that. That's terrifying. It literally keeps you up all night. And we didn't experience any of that. With the vendor, we put all sorts of safeguards in place to make sure it didn't happen. We also staffed up considerably. Instead of having about 100 people, we had hundreds of people and essentially commandeered much of the Pennsylvania Convention Center in Philadelphia. So we would have space for our machines uh, that assisted with processing mail-in ballots for hundreds of employees working in shifts around the clock, 24 hours a day for many, many days on end. And that helped us get it, get it done and the election certified in time. How are you able to commandeer the convention center? I know a lot of election authorities, you know, the basketball arenas and stuff, the NBA was giving them over. Um, how did that work for you all? Well, we had to pay for it. The good news was that uh, there wasn't any competition to acquire the space because there were no conventions going on in Philadelphia in the fall related to anything because of the COVID kind of environment. So we had as much space as we as we wanted and we took over several big halls in the convention center for our operations. And it gave us both the space to do this job, the space so that the employees wouldn't have to be too in close proximity to one another and space to provide for uh, campaign and party observers to observe the processing of mail-in ballots from tooth to tail. So did you have enough money budgeted for all these kind of unforeseen things or how were you able to pay for all this? Cities never have enough money to do all the things they want to do. And in this last year, probably because of COVID, that was all compounded. You know, the city had lost many, many uh, or had many, many or fewer millions of dollars available to it. That being said, the presidential general election was a priority for Philadelphia the mayor and the administration, even though we're separate from them, helped us out in all sorts of ways, both by providing resources and these hundreds of employees I'm talking about, we brought in from all sorts of other city departments. So if you were a water revenue clerk 
you would be working processing mail-in ballots if you were or, or voter registrations if you were in any other city department and we needed you we got you thanks to the mayor um, and my two colleagues our chairwoman uh commissioner lisa Dealey and commissioner omar sabir uh, who are both in the majority party and really helped our department work with the rest of the administration to get us the resources we needed there's been so much controversy about third party money coming into elections and every election authority was kind of dependent on what their secretary of state decided to do with their cares act money so every elected official in my county was just thrilled that they weren't going to have to worry about how we were going to pay for this out of the general fund when the ctcl grant came up but it was a big sell to a lot of places where there were political boards that had to approve it. What was the experience like having to kind of shepherd through a grant that you wanted to use? It was very important to us and our ability to run the election efficiently and effectively. And the technology that the CTCL grant allowed us to acquire assisted with that. And that's not on the front end. Like there were, I would have concerns if it were on the front end or anything that in any way would uh, put your thumb on the scale one way or another in the outcome of who's voting and who isn't. In our case, uh, we were able to use those resources for machines that allowed us to sort our mail-in ballot envelopes by ward and, at ward and precinct which is something we would have done anyway. We would just had hundreds of people doing it. We have 66 wards in the city. And like I said, more than 1700 precincts. So they'd be sorting all that by hand. The machines allowed us to do that uh, much more quickly with the assistance of the sorters that they had um, to timestamp them, to do all sorts of other things. So it, it helps on the back end in terms of speeding up the processing, because if we didn't have that, and we're sorting all these ballots by hand, it would have made it much more difficult to certify our election in time because that clock is ticking. And especially when there's a, just an avalanche of litigation attempting to delay or disrupt it in one way or another, the technology we acquired allowed us to keep things moving uh, and make sure that we were able to certify the election in time, which we were. So the question I've been dying to ask you mentioned the, the election was certified in time. And I know I've read that, at least from the administration side, there weren't any major concerns with the validity of the election, but yet Philadelphia was certainly at the forefront of a lot of post-election controversy in 2020. All types of people were trying to show up to observe your mail ballot opening and uh, all the major news networks were there and interviewing you and your colleagues nonstop. And we had talked to Tina Barton in one of our previous episodes she, from Michigan, and she talked a little bit about what her experience was. Would you share with us what that experience was like? Because I just can't imagine. Well, it was a little bit surreal because we're getting sued in court saying that campaign or party observers uh, cannot observe the process. And I'm reading it while I'm standing feet away from campaign and party observers observing the process. So things like that created kind of like a real disconnect between reality 
and what I would read about, you know, on my stories uh, on my iPhone that I would see when we had a moment to, to even take a look. Um, we were definitely under siege and it felt like it many weeks before the election. In October, we saw or picked up a lot of social media traffic saying, hey, how can you trust the results out of Philadelphia? How do you, how do you know they're gonna do, do um, the right thing? There's cities just full of fraud and sort of all the, all the rest. There was an effort that was clearly organized to discredit the results before a single vote was cast. So at least it gave up a heads up for what was, what was coming our way because they were, they were very transparent about it. The litigation that we saw just had no basis in fact. That's why none of those cases succeeded. It just seemed sort of never ending. You know, I, I don't know how much of it was intended to stop us, trying to prevent us from getting our job done or kind of delay it so we would miss certification because there was an awful lot of it. But we had an incredible team at the city solicitor's office representing us in court and outside counsel who did an extraordinary job sort of protecting us so that we could focus on the job we had to do, which is counting every eligible vote cast by eligible voters in Philadelphia. Al, you were certainly on the firing line. You were on TV all the time. What was it like though for your staff? You have a pretty large staff. What kind of effect did it have on them? Well, we were really concentrated inside of the Pennsylvania Convention Center, which doesn't really have many windows. So it had like I every day I went back and forth between what it felt like. Sometimes it felt like a casino, just day and night, people buzzing around, always, you know, the sound of machines sorting ballots and everything else. So we're really very isolated, very safe, surrounded by, you know, at times hundreds of Philadelphia police officers and sheriff's detectives um, who also allowed us to focus on just doing our job regardless of whatever threats uh, were coming our way. So really disconnected from a lot of that. So it's strange after the election to see interviews that I had on TV that I never saw at the time because we were just too busy. Um, you only had a couple minutes to do these things and you went back to everything else that you were doing. So it's strange kind of looking back and watching the election from the outside now because during it, you know, we were in that bunker focused on counting our, our voters' votes. For everything that you had to change and adapt to and changes in Pennsylvania law and voting things, do you have any advice or words of wisdom for other counties that are going through similar transitions? I mean, I think every legislature is reevaluating election law right now, and there will certainly be a number of states that are seeing kind of wholesale change in how elections are going to be run in juggling all of those changes. Do you have advice for how to do it well? Because I, I certainly think Philadelphia did it well. I, I never would have chosen to do it during a presidential election year. That's one thing uh, for sure. But at the end of the day, I'm glad we did. Um, we had all these election for reforms passed at the end of 2019. Then there were reforms to the reforms that were passed in 2020. And now we'll see reforms to the reforms to the reforms um, this coming year, I suspect. 
one of the things that was a real challenge to us was that in Pennsylvania, we are not permitted to begin processing those mail-in ballot envelopes before seven o'clock in the morning on election day. So some other states, like I think Florida and others, and maybe yours, you can begin processing those ballots prior to election day or pre-canvassing them in the days or weeks prior to election day. So some states would report their mail-in ballot results on election night or early the next morning. That's not the case with us, where we have hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that we can't really begin processing until 7 a.m. on election morning. I think trying to manage expectations in the media to the extent that it was you know, something we struggled with all the time. We had all sorts of interviews leading up to it. Nationwide, it was, listen, everybody, you're not gonna know who won or who lost by 10 o'clock at night. You would hear that on CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, you, know, uh, you name it, MSNBC. At the same time, at 10 o'clock at night, their anchors are asking us, who won? <laughs> so it was helpful having their assistance kind of setting expectations. But, you know, it, it was, it, it, they still succumbed to reality, which was people wanting to know who won and who lost and by how much. And when you can't begin pre-canvassing mail-in ballots prior to election morning, that's something that delays that process. And that'll be a very important reform that I'm hopeful Republicans and Democrats and others will push for. Let's hope, yeah. We, we've got five days in Missouri prior to the election and it helps quite a bit. I'd, I'd like even more, but... Uh you know, we, we take what we can get. When do you start? We start five days before two. Oh, okay. All right. I'm incredibly jealous right now. <laughs> Pre-canvassing ballots is something that I uh, is, you know, and in other counties, it hasn't really seemed to be very controversial. You know, even if, if you don't count or scan a single ballot uh, prior to election morning, just being able to begin processing the outer declaration envelopes, and in our case, the inner secrecy envelopes, and then extracting the ballots and flattening them and doing all the preparation work that you need to do so that you can begin counting right away. That would be just immensely helpful in not only getting the results earlier, but combating a lot of the misinformation that we heard out there, which is like, why haven't they finished yet? What are they doing there that's taken so long? Everyone voted by now. It would, it would help, I think, disarm a lot of those um, fantastical uh, conspiracies that uh, sought to undermine confidence in the election results in Philadelphia. Yeah, you also had that problem, your ballots, some of them don't wear clothes and then you can't count them, so. <laughs> if, if ballots in Pennsylvania aren't mailed back to us in a secrecy envelope inside of the declaration envelope, they can't be counted which is really lousy. I mean, the experience that you all have, every vote is precious. You don't wanna lose a single vote ever for some you know, technical reason where the voter didn't realize what they were doing or, or was trying to do the right thing or the voter's 98 years old and voting by mail and you know, can't see all that well and can't read the instructions written in you know, eight point uh, font or something like that that you know, seeing any vote lost is, is a real tragedy and something that you know, we do everything we can to prevent. I just really appreciate you coming on and talking about your experience because it's, 
it's wildly different than what we had to deal with here with this not being a bellwether state anymore. Well, with us, it, it felt what it felt like we knew well in advance that we would be the largest city and the largest swing state, um, and that all sorts of attention was going to be focused our our way. You know, we at least were prepared for that. All right, thanks everybody for joining us on another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins, and a big thank you to Al Schmidt from Philadelphia for joining us and sharing his experiences with us today. Hope everybody can join us again for another episode of High Turnout, Wide Margins. <laughs>